morning. How you guys doing today? Took you a second, but we're there. We're there. All right, guys, we are in week eight, two weeks left in our Stone series. Uh, you might have done the math. Uh, I just want to give you a heads up. We're ending on Easter Sunday. This series is coming to a, clu- a conclusion where we're talking about not coveting, which is an odd thing to talk about on Easter. I understand that. But I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about the promise of the resurrection on Easter and how all of this concludes and points us to the work of Jesus on the cross. So I just want to say now, you've heard us say this for maybe a month now. You've got friends, you've got family members that the only time they will come to church with you is on Easter Sunday because they feel guilty because this is the South and that's what you do on Easter. And it's the one time we're going to take advantage of that. Um, Invite them. You invite them, cook them a ham for lunch or whatever. We promise to proclaim the love, mercy, and forgiveness of Jesus. They will hear the good news of Jesus. You bring your friends on Easter Sunday. Sound good? All right, like two of you. All right, cool. It's all good. Um, We're going to be in the Eighth Commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Here's something that we say a fair amount at the fold. Sermons do not stand alone. A sermon is not a standalone entity. Sermons exist within the ecosystem of Scripture, within the full witness of Scripture, but they also exist within the ecosystem of what a church teaches. So if you've missed a few weeks of this series, I would highly recommend going back and listening, and you'll see how we've talked about how the Ten Commandments are are not just commandments, but they're vow language that make us think of wedding language. They're ethics that form, that build the foundation for the laws of the kingdom of God. So that's what we're talking about. So today, we're talking about the eighth ethic of the kingdom of God. It is four words. Let's jump in. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You ready? All right. You shall not steal. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are truly always faithful, that you are faithful to us right here in this moment to speak to us and to form our hearts into your likeness, to form us into your way. Jesus, we ask you again that your word would be the word we remember. My ideas or thoughts or opinions would be forgotten. That the name of Jesus would be the only name glorified today. And that we would be a community ever walking closer to your way. We love you, Jesus. Have any of you ever been part of a group project where, let's just say, one person did the project, but everybody got the grade? Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. This question really divides the room, because I'm sure there are a lot of us, you know, there are some of us who, like, did our best, we participated, we put in the effort, and we got the grade. But really, there are two groups of people that are, like, kind of offended by this question. There are those of us who are A's at all costs, right? You're graduating with all of the ropes and everything. Like, you're going to put in the work, and you're carrying the team on your back, right? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) You're carrying the team. And then there's the others of us. There are the rest of us who are the kind of like C's get degrees crowd, yeah? Yeah. 
We're very, very comfortable with a C or even a D on the project, so we put in a C or a D's worth of effort. And if we happen to get an A because someone else picked up the slack, then we're perfectly happy with that, right? I mean, that's great. Uh, you can just guess which group I'm in. Um, I won't tell you. Don't laugh too hard. It hurts my feelings. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, marriage is a little bit like a group project. And I married an A's at all costs person. So, she's really carrying the team here. That's what I'm trying to say. Like she's, she's the one putting in the work. She's the one carrying the team. Now, listen, some of you are thinking, you're thinking, hey, CJ, I'm not sure that it's okay to, like, coast through life on the hard work of your spouse, right? Like, that's, that's not cool. You should probably be putting in the effort here. And if that's you, then you're picking up on something, but don't give it away yet. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Ethics of the Kingdom, they all apply to humanity in any culture. They all apply to humanity from any time in history. They, can, they applied um, when they were written and they apply now. But I think this commandment uniquely applies to our culture. If there's any of the Ten Commandments that uniquely and specifically speaks to us, right now in this culture, then it's this one. You shall not steal. And we live in maybe like the fifth or sixth iteration of the American dream here in the United States in the 21st century. We live in in the fifth or sixth iteration, the way this has evolved. Maybe it started off as a place where you can work hard to own your own property or have independence or, or live in freedom. And, and then it became a place where you can work hard and you can, uh, you can provide a legacy for your family. You can provide opportunities that your family that you didn't have. You can provide opportunities for your kids that you didn't have. And then maybe it became something like... Uh, you can work really hard and you can live a comfortable life. And that's where we get the whole stereotype of, you know, a white picket fence, two-story house, two and a half kids and a golden retriever. Now it might be like a Labrador or like a Husky mix from the pound or something like that, but it's still the same stereotype, you know. And then it became, if you work really hard, then you can live a comfortable life and stop working. And the earlier, the better. And the harder you work, then maybe the earlier you'll be able to stop working. And I'm not dogging on retirement here. I'm just pointing out. And, and now we've reached this place where there's this kind of dichotomy. There are these extremes that I've observed, at least in our culture. And one of them would be work as hard as you can. Don't cut yourself any slack. Someone else is going to get your dream. If you don't work harder, you've got to hustle. You've got to be on the grinds. You have to work as hard as you can. And the harder you work, the more payoff there's going to be. Earn everything. Don't let anyone outwork you. Maybe that's one extreme. Have you guys seen the video that's been going around TikTok of the guy who's like, if you still have one day in your day, then you're behind. I have two days in my day. I wake up at 6, and from 6 to 11, that's one day, and then I take a lunch break, and day two starts. That's ridiculous for the record. But this is part of the perspective. Grind, work hard, hustle. If you work hard enough, your dreams can happen. Just for the record, that perspective in our culture was dealt with pretty handily in the Sabbath commandment, the commandment that restricts us from viewing ourselves or people around us as products. 
the commandment that restricts us from evaluating ourselves based on what we produce or accomplish, but values us based on the image in whose we were created. That's dealt with there, but there's maybe this other extreme in our world that says, get as much as you can without working. Work as little as you can to get as much as you can. Find a way to gain the most out of culture. Figure out a way to hack the system. Figure out a way to game the system so that you can put in as little and get the most out of it. You know, work from home and make sure you move the mouse every once in a while so that your boss can see that you're active while you're watching Netflix, right? Work as little as you can while you get as much as you can. Figure out how to make other people work for you. I mean, maybe you've heard this before. I hear this all the time. When was the last time you heard somebody brag about how little they actually have to work at work? Uh, We consider it a, a positive when we can take one hour's worth of work and stretch it into five and still get paid the same amount. Work as little as you can and get as much as you can for it. Now, sociologists and anthropologists would tell us that this is actually a learned tactic. It's a survival mechanism from our history as hunter-gatherers that we were trained, we've learned over millennia how to get the most payoff with the least energy, that that's part of surviving. But the interesting thing is that followers of Jesus don't do things because they're survival mechanisms. Followers of Jesus do things because they are right and good and beautiful, whether we're predisposed to them or not. Our motivation is what is right and good, not just what is necessary. It's one of the many ways that the way of Jesus flows against the culture around us. Now, when we look at the Eighth Commandment, do not steal, there's a surprising amount of people that look at this commandment and they say, this is where we get the foundation for the right to own private property. This is why this commandment exists. Every person has a God-given right to own things, to be responsible, to be in control of things. Every person has the right to own property, to own the things that they use, and to make the decisions therein. And that's why this commandment exists, because when you steal, you take what is someone else's God-given right to own. You take something from them. Now, that's not necessarily incorrect, but that just doesn't really track cross-culturally. In in our American world, it makes a lot of sense because we as a culture put a high value on individual autonomy, ownership, and private property. But if you look at different cultures throughout history, in fact, if you were to even look at American history, what you would find is one of the primary conflicts between, let's say, indigenous cultures and American culture was a misunderstanding, a miscommunication, a cultural difference on what the ownership of property meant. And if you were to go to other cultures around the world today, what you would find is ideas of community ownership, ideas of collective ownership that are much more common, that would make us uncomfortable in our Western world, but that 
are very common in other parts of the world. In fact, if you were to actually take this commandment and then you were to read farther into the laws that are in the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, then what you would find is that the idea of private property and ownership isn't even necessarily the application of this law because what you would find is that there are actually rules in the Old Testament about what you can do with things that are yours that certainly conflict with the idea of it's mine and I do what I want. It's mine and I own it. It's my responsibility. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not dogging on private property. That's just part of our American culture. It's something that I like about our American culture. I'm perfectly happy being able to own things. But an important tool in interpreting scripture is that your interpretation should be able to apply cross-culturally. If the way you preach the gospel in one culture doesn't work in another culture, then it might not be the full gospel. Because the gospel, the word of God, is a cross-cultural word. The way we interpret scripture applies. It brings repentance in every culture. It brings affirmation to certain things about every culture. But it's a truth that applies cross-culturally. And that also leads us to a question about the victim of a crime. If stealing is about ownership, if it's about my right or your right to own something, then it brings up this big question of what about things that nobody really owns? I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm just cheating on my taxes a little bit, then, and that's not really hurting anybody, who owns that? That's, that's my responsibility, it's my money anyway, I earned it. Or maybe, uh, what's the big deal about using my parents' Netflix account? It's not like Mr. Netflix owns the things that we're streaming and I'm taking something from his pocket. What if I'm not really hurting anyone in the things that I'm doing? But this is what's interesting about the command. It says nothing about the victim. The difference between an ethic and a law is a law is applied ethic that protects the victim. If you read later on in the Old Testament in the laws, what you find is that the law is applied in such a way that it protects people from being stolen against. It protects and punishes those who do wrong. It applies the law, but the law itself isn't about the victim, isn't about protection. It's about establishing. The ethic itself is about establishing what's right and wrong, and this ethic doesn't say anything about the victim. It doesn't say anything about how much can be stolen. It doesn't say anything about whether the theft is consequential or not. It doesn't say anything about that. It says do not steal. Do not steal anything. Do not steal a little bit. Do not steal a lot. Do not rob a bank. Do not steal Hulu from your parents. Do not steal cable from your neighbor. It just says do not steal. This is the ethic of the kingdom. And just like every other ethic that we've looked at so far, if we want to figure out why this ethic exists, we've got to look back to creation. In Genesis chapter 1, God makes humanity in his image. In the image of God, he creates them, male and female, he creates them. And he gives humanity dominion. That word's important. It's a word that can mean something like stewardship. It's a word that means responsibility. Lots of theologians, specifically theologians like N.T. Wright, have done work arguing that we were created in the image of a good creator God, and we were given the responsibility. We were given the dominion to be co-creators with God. 
In other words, we live in a world that is good, and we were given the express purpose of making and multiplying goodness in the world. And if you were to read forward into Genesis chapter 2, what you would find is that before sin ever enters the picture, humanity is given a job. They are put into the garden to work it. Humanity has the explicit responsibility to be co-creators with God, not consumers of good, but co-creators of good. In other words, we were created from the beginning to be participants in the good world around us, to be participants in the good world around us, not receivers and not consumers. Why do we not steal? Because we were made to be participants, not takers. Because we were made to be participants, not consumers. Because we were each given the ability and the responsibility by God to participate in the goodness of the world. This is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. So theft, stealing, manipulation, defrauding is all wrong, not just because it hurts someone, but because it's not participating in the good of the world around us. It's taking without giving. You were created to be a participant. You weren't created to get an A based on someone else's work. You were created to participate in school and in life. We were made in the image of a good God who is a creative God as co-creators of his good world. We are participants. And listen, that word participate is really important because the economy of God's kingdom is an economy of participation. It's not an economy of consumption and it's not an economy of earning. It's an economy of participation. And that is really important because if your life, if your perspective of the world is based on earning, then you're going to start feeling like you deserve things and it's going to create a really uncomfortable situation because every single one of us will encounter a situation in life where we need something we didn't earn. Every single one of us will encounter a situation in life where we need something we didn't earn, whether that's financial help for a friend, whether that's a job reference, or whether that's just maybe, I don't know, the respect and forgiveness of our kids because we worked so hard we were never there. Every single one of us will encounter a situation in life where we need something we didn't earn. And every single one of us was given the call by God to participate in bringing the goodness of God in the world around us. When we take, we, re- we extract good without giving good. We alter the balance of the good world that we were created in. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? See, this is why, as members of the kingdom of God, we have to be people who go above and beyond to be honest, forthright in our dealings. We have to be people who are not loophole people. We have to be people who are not trying to scheme and scam the system people. You know, it's interesting that uh, people who work in the service industry, it's a common knowledge that Sundays are the absolute worst day to work in a restaurant, right? Yes, I can hear the groans from the audience, right? Because Christians always go to lunch after church and they are always mean and tip bad. It's just... Like, can you imagine how different it would be if we as members of the kingdom of God said, you know what, every time we go to a restaurant, we are going to be kind, clean up after ourselves, and be generous. Can you imagine how different the culture would be if Sundays were people's favorite day to work? Can you imagine how different our culture would be if, I don't know, like, 
the people who run Netflix were like, you know what? Christians never steal someone else's account. Can you imagine how different the world would be if, like, people who work at the IRS looked at followers of Jesus and they were like, listen, if there's one thing I know, it's that the people who follow Jesus always report their income. Can you imagine how different it would be if followers of Jesus actually had a reputation for exceptional honesty and forthrightness? If people who are followers of Jesus were known for being extremely forthright and honest and respectful and honoring of other people, people who were not just consumers and takers of good, but people who were bringing and multiplying and co-creating and participating in the good around us rather than just consuming and taking good. Can you imagine how different that world would be? Now listen. This is not a super fun thing to talk about because if I can be honest, I have used a, a handful of streaming service accounts that I did not pay for in the past. And as I was studying this for this sermon, I found it conflicting because we live in this dilemma where there are lots of things that seem unjust in the world around us and there are lots of places where it is normal, justified, easy to defend ourselves in taking advantage of the system, in subtle dishonesties, in subtle thefts. There are lots of things that it is so easy and we can completely easily defend ourselves saying, well, that's not really stealing. They don't really need my money. It's just borrowing and not giving back. It's just this, it's just that. It, it's really, really easy to do. And in our culture, Right now, at this unique moment in history, it is so common for us to do that. I don't even think we notice it. That's why I say if there's any command that applies uniquely to our generation, to our specific time and place and culture, it's this one. Because we look at the world around us and we find place after place where we can game the system, where we can stretch out our work, where we, or we can stretch out the time at work and put in little effort without oversight, where we can find a way to use one of our 5,000 Gmail addresses to get different free trials for the same account over and over again. There are so many ways that it feels just like it's justified right? It feels like it's okay. It feels like Hulu's not going to miss my $3 a month. But the ethic doesn't say anything about the victim of the crime. The ethic doesn't tell us that it's different if the victim is the government. The ethic doesn't tell us that it's different if the victim is a giant corporation with unjust values. The ethic doesn't mention whether this is a Robin Hood scenario. The ethic just says, do not steal. Why? Because you were created to participate, not consume. You were created to participate in the goodness of the world, not to be just consumers of the goodness. When we are consumers, we take goodness from the world around us without giving, without participating. And it actually goes against the way in which we were created. And I think that it is, it is such a small thing because most of us are not robbing banks. Most of us are not embezzling from our companies. Most of us are not. Most of us can look at this command and easily justify us. But I think that there is a small, subtle shift that can have huge impacts if followers of Jesus decided to be people who don't accommodate even a little bit of theft. Can you imagine 
Can you, can you see how different it would be if we just chose to be people who said, no, I don't even do that? Not out of judgment of the people around us, but out of generosity and choosing to participate, of choosing to do what's right because it's right and good and beautiful, even if it would make sense to do the other. Can you see how different that would be? We were created to participate in the goodness of the world around us. To multiply the goodness of the world around us. Now here's where this lands. Here's where this ends. The one thing that upends the culture of consumption around us and the culture of earning around us is generosity. The one thing that upends, that restores balance, that abundantly provides goodness into a world that is continually consuming is generosity. When we as followers of Jesus choose to live in generosity with our time, with our resources, with our money, then we are people who choose to say, I am not a taker. I am a giver in the world around me. I am a participant. I am not evaluating the world based on what I earn or deserve or what I can get for free, but I am choosing to give abundantly into the world around me because it is better for the world to have good than for me to get good. It is better for me to give. Generosity upends the culture of consumption and the culture of earning, and we see that in the generosity of Jesus when he looked at us and said, you cannot and will not participate in. You can't even participate in your salvation. You can't even earn your redemption. You can do nothing for it, but I generously give to you out of my abundance. I generously give to you what you could not do for yourself. It upends the culture of consumption. It changes everything because when we are generously given to, we realize that we've been given something we couldn't earn, we don't deserve. It changes our hearts. It changes the reality of the world around us when we choose to give generously. Listen, this is not a tithing sermon, though I would certainly like for us to be generous people towards the church. What I'm saying is for us to be generous people towards the world around us. When we choose to live in generosity, when we choose to live in abundant generosity, then it upends the culture of consumption around us. If you want to negate any desire for theft or manipulation or taking in your own heart, then choose to give generously. Generosity is the posture of the kingdom of God reflected in the person of Jesus through his death and resurrection, reflected in the spirit who's continually giving love and mercy and conviction and surrender and abundance to us in our hearts. And listen, I am not, I want to be clear, I am not preaching a you can't outgive God sermon, okay? I'm not telling you that if you like sow a seed of $100, God's going to give you a check of $1,000. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the, the posture of generosity brings good into the world and we participate in the good. The posture of generosity sows, it plants good into the world, and we are participants in the good. So when we choose generosity in our workplaces, when we choose generosity out of the restaurants we, we patron, when we choose generosity in our homes with our families, then we put into the world good that we then participate in. And we reflect the generosity of God to the world around us. A lot of times in this series there has not been like a lot of clear application, 
um, because it's been ethics and ideas we wrestle with. This is the one that I think that there is really clear application. It's two things. As we apply this ethic, are there places where we have justified taking without giving? And stop. Sometimes I hate for it to be that simple because I sound like it's oversimplifying, but it is that simple in this case. Stop. Let me be explicit. Stop stealing Netflix or HBO Max. Stop dealing dishonestly to take what we have not given for. Let us be people who go above and beyond in generosity to participate in the goodness of the world rather than just absorbing goodness without giving goodness into the world. First, let us be people who do not steal without evaluating whether the theft is hurting someone but who simply do not steal. Second, upends the desire for consumption in your heart through generosity. If you're, looking, if you're looking for something to do, if you, like me, are looking in your own hearts and you can see the desire and the drive to take and to manipulate and to hack the system, fight that with generosity. Find a way this week that you can give abundantly to someone in need because the act of generosity sows good into the world that we get to participate in. We are participants in the goodness. And last, remember the generosity that Jesus has given to you. God has been abundantly generous to us in his death and resurrection, but also in his constant, consistent, faithful presence with us always. God's posture to us is generosity. Receive generosity so that we can give generosity. We do not give so that we can get from God. We receive from God and give to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, you are generous and kind and faithful. You are good and your love lasts forever. Convict our hearts to be people who are honest and forthright in everything that we do. Convict our hearts to be people who give to the world, who participate in the goodness of the world, who refuse to take the easy way out of being consumers, but see our responsibility to plant seeds of goodness into the world around us and participate in the good world around us. Let us be a community that is deeply committed to doing right because it is right. Show us your forgiveness and your mercy as we've done wrong. Large or small, your forgiveness and mercy is always offered. And convict us to be people who do right because it is right. Let that be the banner that we carry. We do what is good and beautiful and right without considering whether the wrong is justified.